Hey, this is Kenny Green, the lead pastor of City Light Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith as we dive into the life-changing, life-giving Word of God. I hope you enjoy this message. God, we thank you for your glory that is sweeping through this room right now. Your sweet presence. God, may we be changed by it. God, we give you all the glory, all the honor, all of our worship. For you alone are worthy to be praised. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, y'all may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Are you glad that you made it on Easter Sunday to church? I got two people that are glad. I'm going to ask one more time. Are you glad when they said, let us go unto the house of the Lord? Would you give them a resurrected praise right now? Right now. Hallelujah. Well, I want to welcome you to City Light Church. I want to welcome all of our campuses, our online, our Montego campus, and welcome everybody that is in the room. We really do believe that God is about to do something significant and something special in our midst, and we're going to dive right into the Word today. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, grab your phones, however you read the Word, and uh, find your way to 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, looking at verses 3 through uh, 13 there, and then we are going to go down to John chapter 20 and read some verses there. We'll be looking at verse 8. I want to read two different passages today uh, that will show us so much truth about the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, the first passage is 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. The Bible teaches, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we just did. Amen. In his great mercy, anybody experiences mercy in their lives? He's given us a new birth into a living hope. It's not a dead hope. Amen. Because Christ is risen, we've always got hope in our lives. It's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Anybody relate to that? Anybody had all kinds of trials? These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Has he been revealed to anybody in this room? I just wonder. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You may be in something that's so difficult and so challenging. You can't see God's presence. You can't feel God's presence, but he's still there anyways. Amen. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls concerning this salvation. It's so great. Check this out. You may not be excited about it, but the prophets were, watch what they said. The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you 
when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels, this is how great it is, even angels long to look into these things. Can we give God some praise for his word? I'm telling you, that, that's enough to make you shout, amen? And now the next passage, much shorter, by the way. One verse, John chapter 20, verse 8. Finally, somebody say finally. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us in this moment, that we would comprehend it, God, that we would be changed by it, transformed by it, that the seed of your word would fall on good soil and that we would leave here changed. It's in Jesus' name we ask. And everybody shout it. Amen. So much to talk about today, a lot of scripture to look at. But however, I want to take a few minutes and I want to preach on this subject. Here's my title. I see it now. I see it now. I see it now. I don't know if you're like me, but when it comes to those little pictures that have the little hidden people in them and the little hidden shapes in them, and it's like a little mind bender, and you got to really look at it. And they're like, do you see the hidden face? Do you see the old lady? Or do you see the young lady? Or what do you see? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all remember when they had that gold and blue dress? Y'all remember that? And some said it was gold, and some said it was blue, and everybody was fighting and divorcing over it. You know? And so, but if you're like me, it takes me a while to see it. You know what I'm saying? It takes me a while to find Waldo. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'll have to sit there and stare at it and look at it and study it. And, but finally, over time, after I've looked at it, I will finally, with much excitement, say, I see it now. I see it now. And that's exactly what has happened with John. He's, he's had Jesus with him for three years, and Jesus told him he would die, and he would be buried, he would rise from the dead on the third day, but he couldn't see it. But now, as he's face-to-face with the empty tomb, he's like, I see it now. And the Bible says that he saw and he believed. You know, I'm praying that that would happen for many people today, that maybe for the first time you would see that the tomb is empty and that he is alive and that he is risen. And then maybe you came in depressed and stressed out and overwhelmed and addicted and broken and hurting and lost and confused. Maybe that's how you came in, but you're going to leave saved and healed and brand new and redeemed and restored by the power of Jesus Christ because you say, hey, I see it now. I see it now. I see it to the point that I've been changed by it. The reason I read two passages uh, from two different authors, I want us to see the power of perspective. And seeing things from two different sides and seeing things from two different angles because they're writing about the same thing. They're talking about the resurrection, but they're writing about it from two different perspectives. Uh, Peter is writing about it 20 years or so after the event of the resurrection, and he's writing to an audience that is very persecuted. They're being killed for their faith, and he's trying to, he's talking about how the resurrection is still impacting lives. Even years and years later, after the event of the resurrection, it's still bringing about results in, in the world, in the lives of countless people. And you've got John who is writing about a reflection of the resurrection, and he is going back to that resurrection day when they first arrived to the tomb to see that it was empty. Both are writing about it. They're writing about the same event, but they're writing about it from two different perspectives. John is giving a reflection of the resurrection. Peter is talking about the results of the resurrection. 
How many of you know that the resurrection has results, life-changing results? Like, like it's not just something that, like, I cried in his presence one time and said a prayer, and, and he changed me in that moment, and nothing else happened. No, he gave me a result in that moment, and he's given me results every day in my life moving forward, that there's life-changing everyday results because of the resurrection. So they're writing about the same resurrection just from two different perspectives. Perspective is very important. In fact, a very intelligent Danish philosopher named Kierkegaard said this famous quote about perspective. He said, life is lived forward, but only understood backwards. Think about that. Your life is lived forward, but it's, it's understood looking backward. Meaning that you could have some things going on in your present that will not make sense until you get to your future. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I was going through something, and in the moment, I couldn't understand why it was happening. I was confused by it. I was mad at God about it. But once I got to the other side of it, now I have this hindsight, and I'm looking back, and I can see it now. I can see that God had a purpose in my pain, that God gave me strength in my struggle, and actually it was God's hand that brought me through that fire. I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now. And Peter and John are writing later in their life. John is 90 years old, Papa John. Anybody love some Papa John's pizza? Papa John. You know, Papa John from, from, the, from the New Testament started Papa John's. Papa John, he's writing, and Peter is writing 20 years later. And what they could not understand in the moment, because the Bible says he saw and believed, but would you know the next verse, it says that they still didn't fully understand isn't it amazing how one moment you feel like you've got it and then you turn away from church and you're like, boom, life hits you. I don't got it anymore. That's what they felt. That's what they experienced. But now that they're later in their life, they're looking back. And what they didn't understand in the moment, they can now fully understand looking backwards. And they're writing about it and they're talking about it. It's the power of perspective. It's the principle of perspective. And this is what perspective literally means. I really want to dig in and talk about this thought today. The principle of perspective says this, where you sit determines what you see, and what you see determines what you do. Think about that for a moment. Where I sit determines what I see, and what I see determines how I live. You see, I live differently today because I see that he is alive. I live differently today because I see that the tomb is empty. I live differently today because I see that he is risen. I live differently because I see differently. Because where you sit determines what you see. What you see determines what you do. That's why two people can see the same thing from two different seats and have two completely different experiences. If you don't believe me, just ask five people after the service what they thought about the service today. You're going to get five different answers. Oh, well, that preacher was way too loud. He shouted too much and he sweated too much. I don't think I'll be back. And then another person thinks, well, man, I tell you what, those lights were just too bright. And another person's going to say, well, the lights weren't bright enough. And the other person's going to be talking about their ribs at Logan's. And they're going to be talking about how their steak wasn't cooked the right way. And they're going to be talking about how they really wanted some Papa John's pizza now after Pastor Chicken talking about Papa John's pizza. And, to, and then another person's going to be talking about, and then, and then, and then another person, though, is going to be so overwhelmed by the presence of God and what God did in their life, they're still wiping the tears from their face. Two people saw the same thing. In the same service, but experience it in two completely different ways. And the key to living a life of victory and purpose is this thing called perspective. We need perspective. You need perspective. I need perspective. I need perspective as a preacher. How can I say it right if I don't see it right? 
I need God to open my eyes as I open his word before I ever come to you and open my mouth. I need perspective as a parent. God help me, Jesus. I need perspective as a parent. I need to, I need to get in some of y'all's seat and see where you're at as an empty nester. And you're going to tell me, hey, that stuff that you're complaining about, you're going to miss it one day when they ain't in your house no more. Well, those that really love their kids, others of you are like, praise God, they're gone. And I'm just kidding. I need your perspective, right? I need to borrow your perspective so I would stop complaining about my one-year-old and my three-year-old and my six-year-old boy that are in the Old Navy when we're shopping yesterday and they're throwing clothes off the rack. I need to remind myself that one day they're going to be gone. One day I'm going to miss all this fighting and biting and craziness in my life. It's the power of perspective. It's how you see things. And Peter and John writing about the same event, but they're writing about it from two different seats. And what we need on this Easter Sunday is a resurrected perspective where we begin to see our lives in light of the empty tomb. That's what Peter is trying to do for his original audience. He's trying to get them to see that because the tomb is empty and because he has risen, there's nothing in your life that comes against you that has the power to overwhelm you or overtake you. And that because we are seated in Christ in heavenly places, that this inheritance that we have received, it's in heaven. And it does not spoil and it does not fade away. And it's not up there where anybody can take it from you. That because we are seated in heavenly places, we should see things differently and as a result we should live differently because where I sit determines what I see what I see determines what I do and so because I am seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus I can have all hell coming against me and I can have my life spinning out of control but I can still be on the front row on Sunday morning with my arms stretched high lifting high the name of Jesus and people will look at you and they don't know what you're doing because they don't see what you're seeing because they're not seated where you're sitting and they can't understand how a person can still love God and serve God and worship God even in the midst of all this struggle and pain in their lives because where I sit determines what I see. And what I see determines what I do. And I'm seated in him. So I've got a resurrected praise where you can say like Peter, I can see it now. I can see it now. I'm on the other side of the fire. And the thing that I thought was going to kill me, God actually used it to deliver me and strengthen me and make me better. And it's resulted in praise and honor and glory to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if we could see that, we would stop panicking and we would start praising. We would stop having a pity party and we would throw a praise party. Why don't you start praising him out? Anybody want to praise him for who he is and what he's done in your life? A resurrected praise, an Easter praise. So the resurrection gives us three gifts. Number one, I got to move fast. I got to move fast today. I didn't preach fast enough last time. They got on to me. I preached faster. The resurrection gives me three gifts. Number one, it gives me, the, it gives me a new level of praise, a new level of praise. Come on, believers. You got to jump. You got to leap in you. You got to shout in you. You got to praise in you because you're seated in heavenly places. And Peter is trying to tell the original audience, listen, they have discovered the ability to praise God even in the middle of great pain. Praise him when nobody else will. A Job-like praise. Amen? 
And this is so significant because Peter was Jewish, and when Jews would write a benediction or when they would write a prayer, they would always begin their benediction and their prayer with thanksgiving and praise and gratitude. And so Peter is writing a benediction, and he's, 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 he's using the Judaic method, and he's beginning it with praise and gratitude and thanksgiving. Do you know that if you would start your day with praise instead of complaints, your life would change? Your marriage would change. Your family would change. Your career would change. Your anxiety would change. Your depression, your depression would change. If you would start your day with a praise, and because has he not been good to you? Has he not given you every good thing that you have in your life? He's been more than good to you, where if he didn't give you another single thing, you still have enough to praise him for the rest of your life. He already died. He was already buried. He already rose from the dead. I've got enough to praise him. And so Peter is so excited. He's praising God. He's praising God. He's praising God. And you have to understand that when he wrote this in Koine Greek, it was one big run-on sentence. Nine verses, no commas, no periods. The English translators thought that they would do him the service of correcting his grammar. But when they corrected his grammar, they messed with his theology. Because it takes away how excited he was, how pumped up he was about who Jesus was to him and what he's done for him on his behalf. He's praising him for salvation. He's praising him that he's been protected and sustained. And he's praising him for the joy unspeakable. And he's praising him for the resurrection. He's praising him for the living hope. And he's giving a praise based on his personal relationship. He's writing about mercy. How can you praise God for mercy like Peter in one big breath? Because you've experienced his mercy. Peter wasn't always a big praiser. Peter was the one that wasn't the best follower. Peter is the one that denied Christ. Not once, not twice, but three times. He's the one that blew it big. He's the one that messed up time and time again. He cut a guy's ear off. Jesus had to put it back on and come behind him and clean up his mess. Peter was always blowing it big. He messed up. But here's the thing about it. Jesus could have thrown him to the side. Jesus could have said, I'm done with you. I'm not going to forgive you. I'm not going to love you anymore. I'm not going to use you anymore. But instead, he showed him mercy. He showed him grace. And he went, to, he went to Peter, and he loved him anyways. And he restored him anyways. And he re-enlisted him to ministry anyways. And God still used him to go on to change the entire world. Hey, that's good news for somebody that might be here today. And you think you've blown it too big. You think you're too far gone. You think that you've, you've let God down too many times. He doesn't love you. He can never use you. He can never forgive you. I came to tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell. If God could forgive Peter, if God could still save Peter, if God could still use Peter, then God can still use you and still forgive you and still change you. Your best days don't have to be behind you. Your best days can still be in front of you. Y'all get me going. I'll keep preaching. Y'all don't get me going now. So here's the thing. Peter is praising for mercy because he's experienced mercy. And some of you are like, why are these people acting so crazy? I don't believe in all this. Listen, you have to excuse us. We can't help it. Because if you've seen what we've seen, and if you could see where we were before he got a hold of us, honey, and if you could see how far he has taken us you might jump to you might shout to you might praise to if you could get a I see it now you have to understand we look good today but we didn't always look this good 
We might look nice today. We might look cleaned up today. You're seeing the results of the resurrection. You didn't see us what we look like when we were withdrawn in an alley somewhere and broken down in a jail cell somewhere before Christ. If you could see where he found you and look how far he's taken you. Peter, in one breath, he's praising him for the resurrection. In one breath. In one breath, he's praising for the living hope. In one breath, he's talking about the mystery of the gospel. In one breath, he's getting this out. In one breath, breathe. Breathe, Pastor Kenny. Breathe before you pass out. Breathe. In one breath, he shouts nine verses. One big sentence. In one breath, you know there's power in one breath. In one breath, Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. In one breath, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In one breath, when he breathed his last, and he gave up the ghost, and the sky grew dark because life had left his body, and for three days, hope was gone, and hope was lost, and there was no breath. But on the third day, early Sunday morning, there was a stirring in the tomb, and things started getting stirred up, and breath entered back into his body, and he was quickened, and he rose with our victory in his hand. One breath, one breath, one breath, one breath. And then in John chapter 20, verse 22, Jesus gets to the disciples, and he gathers them together, and he gives them the Holy Spirit, and the Bible says he breathed on them. And we go to the Garden of Eden, we see that Adam was shaped and he was formed, but he was dead on the inside until God breathed the life of man. And since that day in the Garden of Eden, you and I and every person who has ever lived has been living on the borrowed breath of God. That's why the Bible says let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Because every inhale and every exhale is a gift from the God that created you, that is sustaining you with the air that you breathe. I wonder if anybody that's got some breath would praise the Lord in this church right now. Praise them with your breath. So the resurrection helps me see the power of my praise. My praise is a weapon. It gives me a new level of praise. The resurrection gives me, number two, a new proof of power. A new proof of power, the power of God that enables me to rise above any struggle I face. In fact, Peter, he's talking about the power of perseverance, and they're undergoing trials of many kinds. He says, but hold on. It's not going to last forever. You're, you're being refined. God is doing something. He's, he's shaping you. He's forming you. He's making you stronger. He's making you better. And what Peter hopes the original audience would see is that because Jesus is risen, there's resurrection power to help them Persevere, writing to a group of people that are being killed for their faith. They've all been through very traumatic things. Peter is telling them that your faith can't be proven without trials. That what fire does to gold is what trials do to your faith. And you got to have it if you're going to be developed. You got to have it if you're going to get better and get stronger. It's the ability to persevere. In fact, many studies have been done over the years, many psychologists that say that perseverance is, is one of the things that can actually cause people to thrive and have more success than almost anything else in their life. Not their IQ, not their gifts, not their talents, but their ability to persevere and rise above any struggle that they face. In fact, many studies have been done of children of different ages and how they grew up in rough environments and how they experienced traumatic things. And they looked and saw that those were the ones that actually went on to do some of the biggest things and some of the most successful accomplishments was, was done through people that went 
through a lot of traumatic things in their lives. And traumatic experiences actually can be a thing that God uses to strengthen us and to give us perseverance. This is even more true for our faith. How many of you know that struggles and adversity create opportunity for God's power to rest on our lives? That it's not until I go through something that is bigger than me and stronger than me that I finally look up and say, I need God in my life. I can't make it another step. I can't take another breath without his presence because what is in front of me is bigger than me, but my God is bigger than it. And some of you right now, you find yourself in a broken situation, in a hurtful situation, and you're wondering how you're going to get through it. You're wondering how you're going to make it to the other side. And I came to tell you, his name is Jesus Christ. Our risen Lord will give you the power to persevere and push through anything this world throws your way. You know, because I know everybody in this room, this is what I know to be true. You're either in the middle of a trial or you're headed to a trial or you just came out of a trial. This world is full of trials and you're going to need this resurrection power if you're ever going to write rise above it and persevere and become all that God has called you to become. You know, psychology teaches us different things. It teaches us that we experience trauma in one or two ways. It talks about big T trauma, little t trauma. Big T trauma is that it's one big traumatic event that has lifelong effects on your life. Some were sexually abused. Some were physically abused. Some have been through things that they would say are outside of normal human experience. We call it scarred for life, traumatized. And others that have experienced big T trauma that have gone through things that are more chronic, that are things that happen more regularly, and they scar you just as much, just as bad. And many people find themselves living on the other side of something that they cannot understand. They find themselves in the middle of something that is blocking them from seeing Jesus for who he really is. Peter and John, they went through traumatic things. John was there at the cross the day that Jesus was hung on the cross. He was the only disciple that stayed there, and he saw them beat him and spit at him and saw him soaked in his own blood, very traumatic. Peter would go on to experience very traumatic things, friends and loved ones being burned alive because of the persecution. And, but but here's, what's, here's what's amazing to me. Although they went through overwhelming struggles and traumatic events, we see that God showed his power in their struggle, that God delivered them and enabled them to persevere. That's encouraging to me. I'm encouraged to know on this Easter Sunday that the trauma of the crucifixion was overcome by the triumph of the resurrection. Because although Peter went through what he went through, he would write books in the Bible, and John would go on to write books in the Bible, and they would go on to turn the entire world upside down with, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I feel like I need to tell someone today that the traumatic events of your life don't have to define who you are anymore. It's not what you've been through. It's not what they did to you. It's not what they did not do. It's not even what you did or didn't do up until this point that defines or limits or enables your ability to go forward in your life. I found out that once you see the empty tomb, you realize that trauma is subject to triumph. And I don't have to be, I don't have to be overtaken anymore by what I've been through. 
by what was done to me, by what was said about me. You don't have to, to live under the power of that chain and that bondage and that stronghold in your life. I have discovered that there is chain-breaking power in the name of Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you feel hopeless and helpless, there is hope and there is help because there is an empty tomb in Jerusalem. And there is a living hope that is available to you for your marriage, for your family, for that addiction, for that hurt, for that trauma, the things that you've been through that you don't want anybody to know about, the things that were done to you that every time you think of it, it causes your anxiety to shoot through the roof and it's controlled you and dictated how you live your life that there is freedom found in Christ and Christ alone there's hope that is found in Christ and Christ alone anybody experience the proof of his power in your life it's available to anyone who calls upon his name then number three as I close the resurrection gives me Another gift, it's a new point of view. Gives me a new perspective, a resurrected perspective. Y'all want to go to the tomb real quick? Hop on the plane and go to Israel real fast? No, we'll just imagine. Can you imagine with me for a second? Can you just picture the tomb? So you have to understand that in John chapter 20, Peter and John, they're found running to the tomb. And the reason why they're running to the tomb is because some ladies had already been to the tomb. The women got there first. Give a shout out for the ladies in the house. Come on, the ladies, meet the men. And, and, but the ladies, they, they didn't understand. Sorry, ladies, you know, the guys didn't really understand either, but they thought that the body had been stolen, okay? So they come and tell Peter and John, the body's not there. Somebody stole the body. And so Peter and John say, well, we're going to go and see it for ourselves. Perspective. Some of you, you got to go see it for yourself. Some of you listen to me. Don't, don't, don't listen, listen. Don't tune me out. Some of you are riding on grandma's faith. Grandpa's faith. Mama's faith. Dad's faith. You think because they were a preacher, because they love God and serve God, that you're automatically in and you're going to heaven when you die. Listen, a handed down faith is a dead faith. And you need your own faith. Peter and John were not content with the secondhand faith. We're going to go see it for ourselves. So they go to the tomb, and John, he's writing this account, and he, he lets us know that he arrived to the tomb first, that he was faster. Peter. Watch what the Bible says. This is why I'm reading this because we're talking about, I see it now. I see it now. In these next three verses, you're going to see three different Greek words used for see, saw, look. Koine Greek was one of the most descriptive languages there ever has been. And there's three different Greek words that are used that show us the power of perspective. So they go, in verse three, it says, so Peter and the other disciple. John is so cocky, he refers to himself in the third person. Y'all ever met somebody like that? He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how he wrote about himself. He didn't love nobody else but him. Watch what he says. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I guess that matters. You know, he wanted us to know. So they get to the tomb. Verse 5, he bent over and looked. First Greek word. He looked in at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in. Now, the only reason they can even see inside the tomb at all is because God showed up early and removed the stone. Normally, you wouldn't be able to look inside. The tomb would be sealed. But the resurrection reveals what was concealed. 
they could see it. I got to thinking about this yesterday, and it hit me like a spiritual two-by-four. Why did God remove the stone in the first place? Somebody might say, well, he had to move the stone because Jesus had to get out. How could he get out if the stone was there? He had to walk out, so they, they had to, so Jesus could get out. So probably right before Jesus walked out of the tomb, that's when the angels came, and they moved the stone away. But I don't think that's the case. Because later I see Jesus resurrected walking through walls. He can do anything. Isn't that what we sing? He can do anything. If he can beat death, hell, and the grave, he can walk through a stone wall. He's seen walking through walls and appearing to the disciples. God did not show up early and remove the stone so Jesus could get out. God showed up early to remove the stone so we could come in and see that he's risen. It wasn't for Jesus to get out. It was so we could finally come in and see and believe and be changed by the resurrection. So what does God do? He shows up in our lives and he removes the stone and the barriers that are blocking us from seeing Jesus for who he really is. Some of you, you've got a stone of religion and you think because you're pretty good, you're going to heaven and you might need to trade in religion for a relationship. Some of you know about him up here, but you've never trusted him right here. Some of you, you've got a stone of trauma and pain and suffering because of what was done to you. You wondered where God was that's blocking you from seeing that he loves you and that he died for you and that he rose from the dead. But God showed up to this church today before you ever got here and removed every one of those barriers so you can come in and see and believe. The Bible says that John saw or he looked. Nothing significant just means that he saw. He, he saw it with his eyes. He's he seen it. It's what your physical eyes do. You ever say that? I got to get my physical eyes on it before I believe it. He just saw it. Nothing significant about it. And he stays on the outside. Then the Bible says, verse 6, then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw, different Greek word, the, stripes, the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And the cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. So John beat him to the tomb, but Peter beat him inside the tomb. John's kind of looking back. Peter's all in. He's very impulsive. He's got an impulsive perspective. He jumps right in. The Bible says that he saw different word in the Koine Greek. It means that he scrutinized and he spectated. It means that he's weighing the evidence and he's checking it out. Well, hold on. They thought that he, they thought that somebody stole the body. Well, if they stole the body, then the linens wouldn't still be here. They'd still be wrapped in the linens. They would have unwrapped them if they stole the body. It looks like he was laying there and he just came out of the linens. It's laying just like he was. It looks like he didn't even have to unwrap himself. You know, Lazarus had to unwrap himself, but Jesus ain't Lazarus. Jesus experienced the resurrection. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So he just comes right out. And so he's looking at it. He's struggling to believe, so he's checking it out. And here's what you need to know about God. He's so good to us that he will leave behind some evidence to help you push through your unbelief and your doubt. That there's some evidence. You're looking at some evidence. Change life. God can change a life. Come on. Somebody that tried everything else and then they tried Jesus. 
and their life is different. That's evidence in history. We've got more historical evidence that Jesus died, was buried, rose from the dead, than we have historical evidence that George Washington was our first president. There's all kinds of evidence. And it's not that you need the evidence. It's not that you need more proof. You've already got everything that you need. You just don't want to give your life to somebody else that's going to tell you how to live. But the best way to live, the greatest way to live, is to live your life sold out for the Lord, Jesus Christ. So then, next verse. Verse, verse 8, and we're done. Finally. Somebody say, finally. Finally, he's done preaching. Finally. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, wanted us, reminded us, also went inside, he saw and believed. Different Greek word here. It means that he perceived what had happened and he experienced the resurrection right there in that moment. That he saw it for what it was. Because where I sit determines what I see. What I see determines how I live. It wasn't until he stepped from the outside and changed where he was sitting to get to the inside where he finally saw it for what it was and his life was forever changed. And some of you will never truly see Jesus for who he really is as long as you are on the outside looking in and you got one foot in the world and one foot toward Jesus. Today is the day that you leave the world behind you and you get all in for Jesus and go all in today. Sometimes you won't fully get it until you go all in. And God is looking to you. Maybe you're broken and maybe you're hurting. And maybe you're going through things that you can't quite understand. And you're right in the middle of it right now. And you're struggling and you're hurting. You know what Jesus would say to you? Come to me and come to me right now. Don't waste another second. Don't waste another minute. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. I will give you what nobody else can give you. I will do for you what you could never do for yourself. But you've got to come inside and take a step toward Christ. Some of you, you know you need this. Some of you, you know you're not happy. Some of you, you know you need a fresh start. For some of you, you know you've been playing church games with God your whole life. And today is the day. And you didn't know when you walked in today. You couldn't see it then. When you got here, you thought, I'm here to make the wife happy today. I'm here maybe to win the cruise today. I'll slide in, and then I'll slide out. Won't nothing really change. Not knowing. You see it now. Uh-oh, uh-oh, what's happening? God's drawing me to himself. God's speaking to me. I realize I need this in my marriage. I realize I need this in my life. I realize that this has been the piece that has been missing. This is the thing that I've needed my whole life because you've tried everything. You've tried drugs. You've tried sex. You've tried drinking. You, you've tried money. You've tried all the different things, but it all left you just as empty. And today, Jesus looks to you and says, try me and let me do for you what none of those other things could ever do. Would you come to him now? As he speaks, God's speaking to hearts in a way like only God can. Would you come to him now? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed in a moment of prayer in response to what we just heard. God is moving in this room and God is speaking to hearts. Maybe you're here 
and you're hurting, you're broken, you've been through some things that you've never really recovered from, that you've never really healed from. And today you're hearing maybe for the first time that by his stripes you can be healed. He loves you enough to die for you. Hanging on the cross, soaked in his own blood, arms stretched wide, telling you the price he was willing to pay so you could be saved, changed, delivered, redeemed, restored. And you know you've needed this. God's been working in your life. You can see it now. You can see it now. All that I've been through, all that I've been going through, my childhood, everything has led me to this moment, to this place, to hear this message. God loves me. God wants to save me. God wants to change me. For me, it happened June 11, 2005, in the brokenness of a jail cell. I cried out to God, and he met me in a jail cell, saved me, delivered me, changed me, gave me a calling and a purpose and a direction. I went through things as a kid I could not understand. I had a father who was a drug dealer and a drug addict, and committed suicide when I was 13. I would go down the same path that he went down, and I didn't understand why I had to go through what I went through, and I didn't understand it in the moment. But when I gave my life to Christ, he gave me a new perspective. And I look back on my life, because life is lived forward, but it's understood backward. And now I can see that the things I wanted to go around, and I wanted God to take me out, were the things that he saved me for. So I could help others get free. So I could help other fathers not end their life. And help other addicts get free from their addiction. And I see it now that he can take my misery and turn it into my ministry. And some of you right now, God wants to save you from some things. So he can do the things through you that he's destined to do through you. And you're at that moment. Are you going to go all in? Give your life to Christ, be forever changed, or are you going to keep going down the same path you've been going down your whole life, weighing the evidence? Is this real? Is it not? Why don't you just try it and see what God does in your life? Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks for those of you that give generously to City Light Church. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. If you'd like to begin partnering with us financially, you can click the link to give now in the description, or you can go to citylightchurch.cc forward slash give. And if God is using this podcast in your life, you can subscribe today. You can click the share button and help us get the word out to the world. Thank you for listening and God bless.